Welcome to the City Beautiful Church podcast. Thank you for taking the time to join our family as we strive to live together in heavenly reality. For more great content, visit us online at citybeautiful.ch. All right. Welcome. Welcome, everybody. Go ahead, take your seats. Plenty of time to socialize after. Um, hello, everyone. Good to see you. Uh, and thank you. It's good to be back. You can tell by my pasty, uh, you know, my, my pasty countenance that uh, Scotland treated me well. But I'm glad to get back here and get a nice sunburn. Uh, missed the hurricane. It sounds like it was. Alabama was devastated. How about that? Right? Crazy. Uh, no, it's very good to be back. Uh, I missed you all. I'm really excited and re-energized and all of that. And um, the Lord has a good word for us today. So uh, let's just dive right into it. How's that sound? Great. Okay, I'm going to pray for you and you're going to pray for me, okay? That, that's how this works, right? So let's do that. So you can, you can close your eyes. You can put out a hand. You can keep your eyes open. You know, whatever, whatever prayer looks like for you and the Lord. So Heavenly Father, um, Glorious Son, Sweet Holy Spirit, God three in one, we are in your presence. Lord, I just think about that, that image of like, it's like a sunken ship, that the ship is saturated with your presence, yet it doesn't contain you, you contain us. And right now, wherever we're at, however we've come into this space, we're all at differing uh, degrees of being aware that we are totally saturated in your presence, that you contain us, we don't contain you. Um, but we get to uh, be aware of your presence in us, in the people next to us, in this space, through worship, through word, through symbol, through act. All of these little moments are waking us up to the reality of your eternal presence. And that's why we're here, Lord. And we have high hopes and high expectations that you're going to do something in each one of us here today. Whether we realize it the moment we walk out the door, or it's a week down the road, or a year, whatever it might be, Lord, that you're doing something, that you're on the move, you're speaking, you're acting, you're moving. So be with us, Lord, uh, as we seek to be more aware of you. May the words of my lips and the meditation of all of our hearts be ever pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So we're continuing on with this series that we've been in, uh, responding to the invitation of God. When we trust God's heart, when we learn how God speaks and how we listen, what do we do with what we hear? That challenge to, uh, you know, that very intimidating word, obedience. You know, unfortunately, I think a lot of times obedience has been made very small in our perspective that somehow by being obedient, it makes us less of a person. We have less freedom. We have less options. And so we kind of shirk against the idea of obedience and we want to push against the boundaries that are being placed upon us by whatever the system might be just to keep ourselves available. But one of the things that we're endeavoring to discover more and more as a community is that the more that we are obedient to God, it actually opens us up more. It gives us greater freedom when we are obedient to be the kind of people that God has crafted us to be. That it's actually our resistance to obedience to him that keeps us small and confined and and, and stifled. And we have to have that kind of vision um, for who God is calling us to be. And over time, as he's working in our lives and we're co-conspiring with him, that we become more and more free people, more authentically human 
And so today, specifically what we're going to be talking about in terms of responding to the invitation of God is what does it look like for us to say yes when he's calling us uh, to serve, to serve one another here within the family and to serve the world. And so responding to the invitation of God contains a thousand small yeses. And I had to Google how you pluralize yes, because we don't do that very often, but I'm pretty sure I got that right. So our source text for today is going to be from Acts chapter 6. You can turn there in the Bible that I know you brought, or you can read it up here on on the screens. So uh, a little bit of background. This is very early on in the days of the church. Um, You know, the apostles uh, have received the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. They went out, they began to preach, and they started to form uh, this new community that was originally called The Way. They weren't called Christians until a little bit later. They're just called The Way. And it started as a very Jewish movement of them recognizing, yes, Jesus is the Messiah that God had prophesied was going to come and was going to rescue us. But it's actually become much bigger than just it being about the people of Israel. God is incorporating in all all of these different kinds of people that nobody would have thought would be part of God's new family. And as you can imagine, very early on, that became a very awkward thing for people to maneuver. You had very faithful Jews, and then you had what we're going to be reading about here a little bit uh, called Hellenistic Jews, or Jews that are from a Greek background, and then we find later on that pagans are coming in, and, and, and people that don't have any background when it comes to the God of Scripture. And, it, and so much of the early story of the church is then trying to maneuver these very awkward interactions among these different groups of people. How do we maintain a sense of unity and togetherness and family when we don't all come from the same background. Now, does that sound familiar? Yes, it does. And so it just, I hope you take a little bit of like peace from that, that even in the beginning, the early church, right at the start, is already having a very awkward conversations of how do we maneuver this new vision that God has given us of what it means to be part of his family. And so that's the story where we're kind of jumping in here. It's just a practical example of how they were maneuvering that. So in those days... When the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews, the Hellenistic just means Greek, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the 12, you remember the 12 apostles and Judas committed suicide, so they added in another to maintain that that kind of prophetic number of 12. The 12 gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. You can see why I like this passage especially. <laughs> Even though uh, Daniel and Stacy are always teasing me because I'm obsessive about these chairs. Like I come in and I'm like always tweaking them, but for me it's like this, we'll, we'll get to that later. Anyway, <laughs> it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and we'll give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and also Philip and Prochorus and Achanor and Timon and Pumba and Parmenas and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. There's a couple things I want to point out about this story specifically, and then kind of draw out of it some bigger lessons that we can learn 
about what it means to say yes in the very small things to the family and the repercussions that can have for our life and our growth into being more Christ-like. So first of all, I think the most important thing to recognize in this story, there was a very practical need. Okay, this wasn't something philosophical. It was not esoteric. There was a very practical need. There was a group within the family, this new church that was being overlooked, these Hellenistic Jews. There was a very practical problem that needed to be addressed. And what does that tell us when we talk about our calling, when we talk about being obedient to God? It means that so often we don't get the handwriting in the sky moment that so many of us are waiting for when it comes to God's calling. When we think, oh, someday the clouds will part and the voice will speak and say, this, Brent, this is the thing. And you're like, yes, Lord. And that's the moment at which you all of a sudden become obedient. I would say nine times out of 10, obedience to the Lord is there's a very practical, tangible need that that has to be uh, addressed. And I love that it, it's almost in contrast to the story of Jonah that John David talked about last week. I love that kind of counterbalance. Jonah does have that big moment, that grand call from God, and he's trying to maneuver how that's going to look. But here, you know, you, when you kind of counterbalance it with the story of Stephen and these others, it's like, well, gosh, well, here's a need. Who are the kind of people that are going to fill this need in our community? And I think the second thing that we realize in this is that the idea of calling, when we look at the way in which they chose these young men to fulfill this practical need has a lot more to do with the quality of their personality and their willingness to say yes than it does about a skill set or a specific task or a job or whatever that might be. And so what does Luke, as the writer of Acts, tell us are the kinds of qualities that the early church was looking for in people that would say yes to practical needs? Number one, they had great faith. They had a strong belief in God as revealed in Jesus and who that called them to be in the context of the faith community. Number two, they had great wisdom. They were able to discern their yeses and their noes. There's a degree of maturity there in how they make decisions. Uh, And then that they are full of the Holy Spirit. They have this intimate relationship with God that helps them to maneuver their lives from moment to moment, to know when to say yes, when to say no, and to kind of have this vision of where God is calling the community. And it's fascinating that it doesn't say, they don't go and go, hey, who in here really likes old ladies? We got a need that needs to be filled. We got some old ladies that need to be fed. Anybody? They don't do that. And I think that that's fascinating. Because a lot of times, isn't that how we address things? We're like, oh, here's a really practical need. Who likes those kinds of people? But instead, these guys were chosen because they had this quality about them. And they had a willingness. And I bet that even before this episode, if you went up to Stephen and you say, how, how would you like to do this thing? Like, do you feel like your life is about feeding old women? I don't know. I've never really considered that before. You know what I mean? And so it's, I just love that idea that it's more about the quality of person that you are and your willingness to say yes. And I think, I hope that that brings you a little bit of confidence when it comes to knowing that you're calling. Maybe it's to a specific people group or a specific location, but more often than not, it's a willingness to say yes to very surprising situations and serving people that maybe you wouldn't normally think would be your kinds of people. But I think there's so much beauty that comes in serving the unexpected, in serving in the places that you never thought that you were qualified for, because it has far more to do with the quality of person that you are than it does about your skill set. 
And I think this is what's so beautiful about these, this story about these guys filling these practical needs. Because number one, it released the apostles to be able to focus on their calling. Okay? So the, the, the burden of the community to do what we've been called to do as the church means that we all participate and free up one another to live deeper into the thing that we've been called to do. And so these guys saying yes meant that Peter and the other apostles didn't have to go about waiting tables and doing the practical things. And unfortunately, a lot of times in Christian community, we think that our leaders are these kind of super Christians that are just supposed to do everything. And there's a very elite few that are called to do the work of the church, and everybody just kind of shows up and sings songs and, and maybe gives 10% or whatever it might be. And I'm actually really proud of our community. I don't, I don't think that that's necessarily something that we suffer with. Um, just real, real quick, what is your hands? How many of you are serving in this community in some capacity right now? I mean, look at that. That's pretty amazing that we have well over half of our community are serving somewhere here already. And so I think we're already, we already have a vision for that. And I think for us, it's really less of an indictment against us for not being a serving community, but just continually reminding ourselves of why we're doing what we're doing. And so the first, pro, like the first fruit of this, this opportunity within their church was that it freed up the apostles to do what they were called to do. And then secondly, it was the testimony of these mature, willing believers in the family doing what needed to be done, stepping in and saying yes, that became this testimony to others outside of the church of what it looks like when God rescues and redeems a people and brings them together as his new family. And I love that, that little last line. I want to read it again. So the word of God spread. So that's the apostles being freed up to preach. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Isn't that great that there were, there were religious men in the Jewish community who saw within this new way these people that claim that Jesus is the Messiah we've been waiting for, and that was attractive to them. And I think part of it was the apostles being able to preach the gospel. I think the other part of it was seeing how well these people loved one another. That it wasn't just about this elite group of priests that have to do all the things in the synagogues, but it was actually this massive group. You know, one of the, I think, a little side note, one of the most fascinating aspects of how the gospel changed our perspective of humanity was that it's the first time in history that someone's qualifications are not based upon gender, is a huge one, um, but specifically their socioeconomic status or anything like that. Your, your position is based on the gifts that you're given regardless. And that's just why Paul says, there is no Jew nor Greek, male and female, slave nor free. All of those categories, that was how everybody else organized their societies. Well, there's the people that are in and the people that are out based on your ethnicity. There's the people that are in, the people that are out based on your gender. There's the people that are you know, in and out based on whether you're slave or free. And in this new way that God was creating, af patterned after Jesus, none of those categories mean anything anymore. It's a, it, there's an, there's a, there's a, a, an equal opportunity for all who have been blessed by specific gifts to fulfill a role within the family, within the community. And I think this was incredibly inspiring to the priests who knew God, had this vision for what God wanted to do, but actually saw it playing out in real time in the city of Jerusalem. So I think that's what's so beautiful about this story. And I'm going to kind of come back around to the, the, the end of the story of Stephen specifically in just a moment. There's a couple things that I want to talk about specifically when it comes to serving. 
but I think are very helpful for many of us to recalibrate, to encourage you in what you're already doing, uh, but just to kind of see what it is that we're endeavoring to do here. So number one, we need a bigger vision of the Christian life, not just an appeal to meet needs. And I think, unfortunately, what happens when we talk about serving is it gets reduced to, oh, there's the need, let's just plug that hole. So a lot of times it becomes, you know that story of the little Dutch boy? Um, this is kind of, this story came out in the 1800s, it's actually written by an American, and the Dutch love it so much, now they got statues of this little boy all over their country, which is really neat. But um, Dutchland, Netherlands, why do they do that? Has anybody ever known, like, the Dutch are from the Netherlands slash Holland? I don't know. It's below sea level, so there's lots of dams everywhere, and there's this little boy, and he's walking along one day, and he sees this little hole in the dam, and so he puts his finger into the hole to plug up the hole because there was a need, and he gets praised for this, and he has to stay there overnight, and was like, this is so great. He's filling a need. And a lot of times what happens when we have that little Dutch boy perspective of serving is we go, oh, there's a need. I need to fill it. And what that ends up doing is because it's such a small vision for what we're called to do, we end up burning out pretty quickly. Think about that in your, own, in your own story, wherever you're at, whether it's like, you know, maybe it's serving in a church, maybe it's jobs that needed to be done at work, or whatever it might be, when it's just, oh, there's a need, ho-hum, would somebody take care of that need? And you're like, I, I guess I'll do it, right? And then we just, we burn out, because we don't have a greater vision for the why. Like, what are we doing this thing for in the first place? But I think when we have this greater vision of what the Christian life is, what we're called to be and what we're called to do, it gives us that why-ness that we need to have not just the resilience when it comes to serving within the family and serving the world, but also a, a, a passion and a desire for it. Several weeks ago, I was talking about this idea of faith not being this passive belief acknowledgement of who Jesus is and all this, but an actual full allegiance where we get our whole body, mind, spirit, heart behind service to Jesus and following him. Um, then when we understand that faith, and it's about getting all of us behind the call that Jesus is giving us, we recognize that that sort of obedience begins to transform us from the inside out. That what's true on the inside about who you are as a child of God, as a member of his family, as, a, as, an, as an image bearer, as a, as a little Christ, however we talk about it within the Christian household, that that thing that's true on the inside needs to be made true on the outside. And that it's as we are stepping out in faith to serve, to give, all of these different little ways that we, we kind of put it on the outside of us, it makes it more true and it's more real for us. And when we begin to do that by faith, we begin to reveal Christ and experience Christ in some unexpected ways. Think about in your own life for a moment when you have chosen to say yes to serving just in a moment or, or stepping out of your comfort zone to love somebody and you had this really dramatic revelation of the love of God, right? And sometimes we think, I need the revelation first of what God is like and who Jesus is and then I'll step out to serve, right? And sometimes that happens and that's very blessed. A lot of times, honestly, I'm telling you from experience, it's when you step into something and you're like, I don't really have a vision for this. I don't understand it, but I'm going to be obedient to do it. And then after the obedience comes the revelation of the heart of God, of Jesus. How many of you, that's, you've experienced that, right? And it's really powerful when that happens. You're like, oh my gosh, this is what it looks like to love your neighbor. This is what it looks like to be a living sacrifice. And so 
we need that vision of the Christian life that we say yes to serving, to giving, with this expectation that we're going to see Christ in the face of every stranger that we encounter. Okay, think about that. When you engage with a new person, that when you're going into it and saying, I am about to encounter the face of Christ in this person. Now, that's a very dramatic, different way of of thinking about strangers, right? And thinking about friends and family, because a lot of times our vision is so small and it's just about meeting needs. We see people as projects or even inconveniences. But we have this greater vision of the Christian life that every face I encounter is the beautiful face of Christ. It dramatically changes how we choose to say yes. And then we begin to love people as we love Jesus because he tells us that's basically the same thing. Whatever you do for the least of these, you're doing for me. And so somebody, I think, in our community who has demonstrated this so beautifully about experiencing this bigger vision of the Christian life is our friend Johnny. I want you all to give him a round of applause as he comes forward. Um, Johnny serves in a lot of different places in our community. Um, He is on the tech team, Uh, he cleans, he uh, facilitates a Narcotic Anonymous group here on Tuesdays, which by the way, he just informed us now on Mondays, our church is hosting a Crystal Meth Anonymous group, and then on Fridays, we have an Adult Children of Alcoholics group here on Friday afternoons. So praise God that our building is being used for some of those really powerful things, but um, we wanted to ask Johnny to come up and to share with us a little bit about his experience of having this bigger picture of the Christian life uh, beyond just meeting needs. Um, this might be a simplistic view of Christianity, but I believe either I'm walking to God or I'm walking away from God. I have a choice every day if I'm going to live a self-centered life or a God-centered life. Um, when I used to ask who and what God was, it was kind of a stumbling block for me. But when I started to ask how can I engage God, it became a turning point in my faith. Um, I became open to trying different things, um, and I learned from others when I became teachable about the importance of service. I have an app on my phone, and I have a checklist of things that I do every day. It's like pray, meditate, read the Bible, and one of them is do service. And at the end of the day, I look, and I ask myself, did I do service today? Why didn't I do service? How did I do service? Um, It's part of my reflection at the end of the day. I've heard it said that proper service is doing the right thing for the right reason. If I come to church and decide to clean the church with the expectation that I'm going to be praised by others and it doesn't happen, I'm going to be pretty bitter. But if I come to church with my heart ready to serve God, then I'm going to be blessed. Um, Service is one of those biblical contradictions because it talks about sacrifice and giving up. And yet, every time I do service, I find that I get far more from God than I give up. Um, Ultimately, service is an act of worship. I think that's why we call it Sunday service. So if I profess with my mouth and believe in my heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, then service should come naturally for me every day. Um, If I'm having a hard time serving God, then I have to examine my heart and look at what's stopping me um, from engaging God. If I do the right thing for the right reason, I put myself in a position to be blessed by God. Thanks, Johnny. Give him a round of applause. (laughs) 
And so I love that Johnny is exploring that idea of it's when we step out and we give that seeming contradiction that when we sacrifice, we actually receive through that. And that kind of brings me to my second point, that mature Jesus followers maintain a healthy balance of giving and receiving. All of life is about giving and receiving. And, and how do we define maturity? I think, you know, looking at this story of Stephen, for example, maturity can be defined as having the self-awareness and the resilience that you need to maneuver the ups and downs of life. And so maturity is about knowing from moment to moment, how am I doing, kind of taking that temperature of where you're at in your own life and being able to adjust accordingly. Because if we're honest, sometimes there's going to be those seasons where we just don't have a lot to give and we really need to put ourselves more in a position to receive from God and to receive from others. And sometimes we're kind of brimming with all of this this energy and this potential, and we need to start getting it out in order uh, to really see what God's trying to do in our lives. And so maturity means having that, that ability to discern from moment to moment, whether you're in balance between giving and receiving, um, but also having that trajectory set by Jesus for the kind of person that you are to become. And I think that's so important for us, is to say, God, what kind of person am I becoming? And allowing that to filter to, am I in a, always in a posture to receive from the Lord and to receive from my people? And am I always in a posture to give to the Lord and to give to other people? And so it's kind of, we can oversimplify it. Let's say there's like kind of three things that I, that I always look at in, 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 kind, in terms of taking the temperature of my own spiritual life and my own maturity, but also in helping others in this community. Is number one, are you in deep fellowship? Are you in a position to be discipled? Are you meeting regularly with fellow believers, not just to enjoy life and to share a good meal, those things are tremendously important, but to really open yourself up to one another, to talk about what you're experiencing, what the Lord's sharing with you, what you're struggling with. Are you putting yourself in that position to receive the blessing of community? And I think that's so important. That's going to be one of the most powerful places that you experience the reality of God. Number two, are you serving the family right here? Are we positioning ourselves as that vision of heaven on earth that we're called to be? Like in the time of Stephen, are people on the outside looking at the church today and going, oh my goodness, I did not know that kind of love and dedication was possible within a, such a diverse group of people? And so we always have to remember that what, when we are serving, we are creating that testimony for the rest of the world to say, this is what it looks like when God is king and when he draws all people back to himself and he gives them um, this opportunity to live into who they've been called to be. You know, I've, I've used this analogy before, but it's like growing up, how many of you had chores growing up? like a chore wheel or a chart on the fridge or whatever, you know, if you didn't raise your hand there, I'm going to have a conversation with your parents. But when you're little, you know, when you're little and you have to do chores, like, you, you're just like, oh, why do I have to do this? I'm already doing all this homework and like, you know, that's taking a lot of my energy or whatever it is. And, you know, I mean, in our household, it's like, no, you, this is what you do. It's on the, it's on the board. So you've got to do your chores. But over time, I began to realize, oh, this is what it means to love my family. Oh, Okay. It means washing the dishes. It means cleaning my toilet even though I don't want to. You know what I mean? Like, it, 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 it's, there really is that obedience leading to revelation thing when you say we're part of the family and we do chores, not just because they need to be done, but because this is what it actually looks like to love one another. 
And Jesus warns us about this, doesn't he? He says, like, you can't say to somebody, like, you know, kind of in the, um, in the story of the Samaritan, like, you know, just go forth, be blessed, love you, and we don't do anything about that. Well, no, you don't love me. And I think that's got to be a real challenge for us as we love one another in the family. Like, where's the evidence of it? Are we actually putting some action to those words? And so by loving one another practically, we are building those muscles to recognize, oh, this is what it looks like to love one another. This is what it looks like to be a family. And we don't just come and get all of our needs met by the rest and we walk out the door and we haven't offered anything into that. And then third, are you serving the world? Are you going from the family of God, having received from him, having served him, serving one another, and are you taking that out with you to people who have yet to encounter the love of God? And that, gosh, that looks so many different ways. So many of you are doing that in your careers, in your family, um, in your friends, and it's, it's always having that mentality. Am I actively serving in the world in a way that I'm pointing back to Jesus as the true king? that Jesus is the best demonstration of what God is really like. And so I think it's always valuable for us to take time to consider, am I in that position of receiving, where I'm in deep fellowship, where I'm in worship? I'm in that posture of giving, where it's to the family itself, to be that little beacon of heaven. And then am I serving the world? Am I going beyond the walls of the church community in order to show the love of Jesus to others? Um, and so there, somebody in our community, I think, is, is so, uh, so well positioned to show that to us is, our friend Jennifer Neesmith. She's going to come up and talk a little bit about practical ways that she has been blessed by serving within our community. And again, it's not just theory. This is practical stuff, but it really shows us this is what it looks like when we choose to say yes. Well, I'm supposed to tell you the jobs I do and how I'm blessed by them. And one of the things I do is to clean the church once a month. Johnny has his month or week. I have my week. Um, and as I do that, what I really enjoy doing, because I'm here all by myself and it's really quiet, and I can go from each of the places, places I clean and pray for the people who work there, Ryan in his office, Daniel in his, um, just all the, the, the musicians, the technicians. It's just it's great to be able to do that. Um, another thing I do is greet. When I was pretty young, I went to a church in Orlando, and I went there until I was in mid-30s, and we moved to another one and we sat in a Sunday school class for three weeks and nobody said a word to us. So I am so sensitive to people not having someone to talk to them as they um, sit in the church or when we visit and you're supposed to talk to, to someone around you. So I implore you to do that if you see someone. Now, if I come and talk to you and you say, I'd really like to sit here and be quiet and meditate, and I will go. It won't hurt my feelings. So. <laughs> um, another thing I do is when we have parties in the church, uh, we have a meeting, and I get to do the shopping. I'm not crazy about cooking, but I like to shop for groceries. So I get to do that, and I also get to meet with the wonderful, young, creative, smart people that help prepare all those things because they are so lively and wonderful when you're old you enjoy that and the last thing I do is I work in the greenhouse and I love the little kids in the greenhouse their fertile minds just eating up all the information about Jesus learning verses uh, learning what salvation means and it's just a real blessing and if you'll listen I only do these things once a month so everybody out there I'm sure has a Sunday one month that they could give and if you are a Christian if Jesus is your savior you've each been given a gift and it's a spiritual gift and like 
any gift, if someone gives you one and you just take it and put it on the shelf and you never look at it, it's kind of hurtful to them. God gives you that gift. And if you're not using it in the body, that's exactly what you're doing. So I encourage you to open that gift and use it. And it will make light hands for all the people who are doing the jobs. So it's a blessing. So thank you. Yeah. Uh, a couple of years ago in one of, one of our uh, team building exercises, we were working through uh, Myers-Briggs stuff, and I think you tested 99% extrovert. Can you, is that even possible, Kristen? <laughs> but that's, but that is a beautiful example of like, it's, it's not that you're being called to be somebody else, you're called to be the fullest version of yourself. And that's what we need the vision from Jesus to say, what does it look like for me to be my freest, fullest version? Being Christ-like doesn't mean we're all conformed to be the same. It means being the best version of ourselves in the way that God has designed us to work, to be healthy, not to change who we are. And so that kind of brings, uh, brings me to the next point. For God's truth to be real, it has to flow through us. Being aware of the flow helps us to look more like Jesus day by day. I think this is a very bold statement, but I really stand by it. I do not think that the truth of God is real in your life until it is tangible. Okay? The truth of who God is, of who he's called you to be, and what he's called you to do does not mean anything until it is tangible, until it is demonstrated in your life. Otherwise, it's just a bunch of ideas. And so what, what we have to recognize is there is this flow that kind of from God to us as he fills us up. And I always think about it as like a pool, like we're being filled up by the love of God. But if that, that water doesn't go anywhere, what happens to it? It just sits there and it stagnates and it starts to grow things and it's very nasty and it kind of loses its usefulness. But when we allow the, the love of God to flow through us, that it goes from God to us and us to other people, we actually recognize that there's a constant flow and we're always being replenished. And in fact, we discover that the more we begin to give, the more we're capable of receiving because sacrificially loving others increases our capacity to receive the love of God. It's like taking that vessel and we're broken open by our experience of other people's lives, but then God begins to fill in those cracks and our vessel gets larger and larger and larger. I remember a friend of mine, they, uh, he and his wife were getting ready to have their second kid and I was talking to him about it. I said, how, how do you feel about this? And he says, I'm terrified. He said, I love my wife so much. And I love my daughter so much. And I don't think I have the capacity to love another human being. I don't think I'm capable of it. You know, parents, maybe you felt that way. Like, I, I'm at my limit. But what happened was that beautiful little boy was born and God broke my friend open and increased his capacity to love. And I think that's so true for so many of us. We think, no, I can't. I'm at capacity. And it's like God is inviting us to go, I, you, there's more. And when you allow yourself to be broken open by the people that I'm calling you to love, you're going to realize you are so much more capable than you really thought. When we only have this perspective of the Christian life that it's only about receiving, it leads us to that space of stagnation. And I think for so many of you, all the struggles that you're having in your life now and you're thinking, I need to receive a little bit more or a little bit more and then I'll be ready, I think perhaps the actual healing comes when you serve when you give out of what you don't think that you have and see what God does on the other side of that. 
And that's what we see in Stephen and these other young men that were called to serve um, these widows, is that they were being guided by the Holy Spirit of Jesus. They had this vision. They had this, the, 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 the Greek word is telos. They had this vision or this goal. This is who I am to become. And so when it comes to saying yes, we have to be asking the right kinds of questions. If I say yes, does this make me look more like Jesus? Do I look more like him when I say yes to these things? Because it's not about us making decisions and yeses and nos based on this kind of ego protection or this ego massage, or conversely, like I can say yes because it makes me feel good. It's about having this grander vision for who I am to become. And your ego is not a bad thing. I've said this before. Your ego is necessary because it helps you define yourself when you're growing up, but it can limit you. And when you only make yeses out of your ego, this is, you know, I've gone on many rants up here before about the, the revolution of self-care and how misguided some of that can really be because it's more about ego protection than it is about us growing as human beings in true self-care. But when we have that vision to say, what does it look like for me to become more like Jesus? Regardless of how I feel or what I believe about my capacity, whatever it is, do I have that vision and that trajectory that the spirit of Jesus is giving me now that he will equip me as I say a thousand small yeses? Do I look over a lifestyle of, of saying yes to Jesus and go, oh, there it is. There was the trajectory of my life. My final point, an extraordinary life is made of thousands of ordinary Jesus-shaped opportunities. I think we all want to live an extraordinary life. And you know, when we read about these different people, whether it's heroes of the faith or you know, great inventors or politicians or you know, leaders or whatever it might be, and, and a lot of times they're known for like that one thing, right? I mean, I could, let's just try one. Alexander Graham Bell. Okay, see, he did a lot more in his life than that. You know, that's the thing he's known for. Um, pick another one. Uh, I don't know, Robin Williams. Oh, acting. Yeah. I was going to see if anybody named a movie, and if you named Hook, you were right. That was the, that was the thing. That was the contribution to history. Huh? Dead Poets Society is real good. Mrs. Doubtfire. Okay. A lifestyle of saying yeses. That's my point. But, you know, we're, we're, a lot of times we're waiting for that one big thing that's our moment, that's our big yes to the world that changes it. But the reality is all of the greats, it's because they said a thousand small yeses. This is what we see in the story of Stephen. There was a really practical need and he had the qualities and he had the willingness to say yes to something that maybe wasn't on his radar. It was just, it was this thing. You know, he, did, he wasn't thinking beyond, he, did, he wasn't thinking 2,000 years later, there's going to be about 80 people in the new world, which I don't even know about yet, that are going to be talking about my story. He wasn't thinking about that. He just saw a need and he was meeting it. And if you know the rest of Stephen's story, you know it's actually quite amazing. Um, so Stephen starts to serve, the church is growing, and there's a lot of conspiracy against the church from the Jewish elite, and they actually start charging Stephen with blasphemy, trying to, trying to peg him on something. So he has to go to court, and they're, they're trying him, and they're, they're falsely accusing him of all these things, and there's this beautiful little line at the end of Acts 6, it says, all who were sitting in the Sanhedrin, that's the court, looked intently at Stephen, and they saw that his face was like the face of an angel. This is a guy, what does he do? He feeds little old ladies, you know? 
and he gets pulled into court and he gets falsely accused and then he leads in this huge sermon, Act 7, you can go read it. He basically tells them the entire story of scripture and what God had been doing this whole time and then they take him outside and they stone him to death to try to get at him. And it's amazing, in the moment of his death, he says, forgive them, Lord, for they don't know what they're doing. And it says that he fell asleep. So you saying yes today in some small way could actually get you killed. <laughs> and isn't that great? But think about that. We call Stephen the proto-martyr. It means he was the first person to lose his life in faithfulness to Jesus. And we remember him today for that. And it started with just very small practical needs. And so now we're going to make that practical. I want everybody to take out your phones and I want you to go to citybeautiful.ch slash praxis. And what this is, this is a practical opportunity for you to take the temperature of your own life and to consider how are you putting yourself in a position to receive? Are you meeting with fellow believers? Are you being discipled? Are you growing deeper in your faith by being vulnerable and teachable as Johnny mentioned? And that's going to be on the Praxis page. And then secondly, there are opportunities for you to serve within the family. And not just do we have uh, our different ministries labeled there, um, but just the, the, what are the things that you're interested in? And maybe we can actually help you find a specific place to say yes. But it's amazing having that vision of like all of us are here to become more like Jesus. And the more that each of us say yes, it releases the burden from the few who have already said yes, and we really begin to love one another in those practical ways. So I want you to just take a couple minutes, fill that out, hit submit, um, and then we'll continue on from there. Give you about one more minute.
I hope that some of you are going to try new things and you're going to encounter new kinds of people that you never thought were your kinds of people. And I hope that it's through the obedience that comes by faith, which means saying yes when you don't necessarily feel like it, that you're going to have this amazing revelation of Jesus and his heart for you and his heart for all of us. But you're also going to have this revelation of like, oh, this is what it means to be part of the body of Jesus, to be his hands and feet, to be that practical example of his love for all of us here so that we can be that vision of heaven for the rest of the world, but then also to go out and to love our friends and our neighbors and our coworkers and our families um, with that love of Jesus that, that re- makes them realize what God is doing in our space and in our time. And so the last thing that we want to do, I want to invite all of you to stand. And I want everybody who is currently serving or just signed up to serve to come forward and fill up all this space right here. If you're currently serving somewhere or you've signed up. And then I want to ask um, our elders and our ministry leaders to kind of gather around them. Bring it in tight so we can kind of get everybody in here. Hopefully you all showered this morning. (laughs) Serve us. Serve us by your hygiene. Um, And what I'm going to ask our leaders um, and our elders to do is to lay hands on you guys and to commission you. For some of you, maybe maybe you're you're worn out, you're tired, or you're a little burned out. You're kind of you've you, you know you've kind of lost that vision for why you said yes in the first place, and you need that vision from Jesus again of what it means to say yes and why, and to have that maturity to kind of maneuver through your giving and receiving. And for some of you, you're you want to step into something new, and it's a little bit scary, and you don't exactly know what that's going to look like. I'm going to ask our leaders and our elders to pray out loud over you those things because it's so important important that we have that vision for why we do what we do, that we're not here to meet needs. We're not here um, just to feel good about ourselves. We're here to become more like Jesus. And we all need that vision. So let's take some time and um, leaders and elders, if you would just begin to pray uh, over these faithful ones. Father, I thank you for each of your dear ones that are here. 
for those who are currently serving and for those who are stepping into a new opportunity to serve. I pray that we would always have that vision of who you are calling us to become. And that vision would give us the tenacity from day in and day out to say yes in a holy way, to say no in a holy way, to know when we need to receive, to know when we have something to give. But that, Lord, above all, that our community would be that little beacon of heaven, that we would be this example of this is what it looks like when God is king, when he rescues and redeems his children, when he brings them home, when he sits them at his table and he sups with them and he blesses them and calls them beloved. And then he gives them tasks about the household, not as a way to earn his love, but as a way to, to live it out, to make what's true on the inside become true on the outside. God, I thank you so much for this community, for the opportunities that you give us time and again to step into serving one another and serving the world. And we just ask for more of that. We pray all of these things in the strong name of your son, our savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. So you can go back to your seats and uh, let's worship God uh, for his goodness. This has been the City Beautiful Church podcast. To stay connected, follow us on social everywhere at City Beautiful CH. We hope you join us again soon.